together, and, uh, and we'll dive in. Uh, this morning we're going to look at, we've been doing a series on identity, so who are we? Uh, how does the Bible answer the question, who, who am I? And this morning we're going to be looking at the theme of, uh, I am a servant. So, um, so we'll be diving into what does that mean as far as uh, in a, an identity that we embody. So let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be together this morning. Uh, thank you for these students and their hearts to grow and learn and just be together. And I do pray that you would bless our time, that you would help us see um, and, and what it means that to, to be a servant and that how Christ came not to uh, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many and how um, we are called to follow um, in his footsteps uh, to give our lives for the flourishing of others. Um, so uh, I pray that you would help us identify that, uh, but also to um, learn how to embody that uh, as we go from here. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, like I said, we're doing a series. Uh, we're finishing up a series on identity, looking at what does this mean when Genesis tells us that we are made in God's image, um, and, and uh, how in the New Testament Paul uses this language of in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and how the word Christian literally means the in Christ ones. So we're looking at what does that mean, and how does that answer um, the question of who am I, like I said, and, and, and how, um, how that influ- influences how we live our lives. Uh, I'll read this to you. I've, I've been kind of skipping over this every week, but I'll, I'll read this back to you just to kind of a, a refresh your identity because I feel like we've had two weeks off because I was sick and then, and then we had a fall retreat. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little, I'll go over the review slides. Um, so, an identity is who someone is. It is the answer to the question, who am I? It is the core of who someone believes they are that defines for them what they believe it means to be truly human. Um, Everyone embodies a core identity that governs all they do, how they navigate life, and the roles that they embody. Other lesser identities and how they relate to others. So what we're we're looking at is is not necessarily, who are you? Not like, I'm a student, I play video games, I play soccer, right? Those uh, Those are all what I call like fringe identities, right? Um, there is something, uh, there, is a, there, is a, there is a big I identity of, of, of who you are that informs how you play out uh, your other lesser identities, right? So we're looking at how does the Bible answer the question of core identity, right? Uh, we're not talking about how do you play soccer as a Christian, right? We're not talking about necessarily how do you be a, a student as a Christian. We're talking about how do you be, what is a Christian? And, and, and what are the identities um, that... that and definitions that that comes from. So, um, and so, yeah, so looking at the question, what is my identity? So who are you? As Christians, our identity is to be found in our relationship with Christ, not, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> in our subjective and often negative life experiences, um, right? So this means like, you know, you have a moment when you feel stupid, uh, so, but that does not mean that you are stupid, right? Um, you fail a test, uh, but that does not mean that you are a failure, you get cut from the, from the baseball team, but it does not mean that you are worthless, right? Um, so that's, that's what, that, what I mean by that phrase. Uh, there is a greater identity, thankfully, in Christ. Now, without Christ, uh, you are those things, right? Um, and uh, in Christ, he gives us a new name, a new identity as the in Christ ones. Um, and, and therefore, the answer to the question, who am I, is based upon what it means to be in Christ. So we all, like I said, we all embody different roles um, that we have, and we're looking at what is the central core identity uh, that informs how I embody those roles. And this is where we've been. 
today we're going to talk about I am a servant, and, some, and then next week we'll look at the reality that we're not yet perfect. So, um, uh, This morning, specifically, I want you guys to talk about the theme of greatness. Um, I think that um, we've got to talk about, uh, if, in order to understand servanthood, we've got to understand what does it mean to be great, because um, you know, that's what you know, Jesus, when his disciples asked him, who is the greatest, right? Um, he gets into um, he gets into the theme of servanthood, and then uh, we're going to look at a truth and a lie regarding how we think about servanthood, and then and then we're going to go into understanding our, our calling as servants. And I'm going to look at kind of a, a video that I that I love. How many of you, when I showed that that video probably three years ago on called Godspeed, do you remember that walking at this catching up with God, um, walking? I don't remember the phrase. Yeah. So I'm going to show a thing from that, a clip from that, because I think that the, the biggest barrier uh, to being a servant is this, we're busy, and we, we don't see the people around us. So that video is kind of a, a calling to slow down and see the people around you and what their needs are, and also to be seen as well. So, um, so yeah, so why don't you guys do this, get into groups um, of like three or four, and answer these questions. So uh, what makes someone great? And um, um, who is somebody that you would say is great? So we'll, we'll talk about this for like, for like five minutes or so. We won't spend too much time. And we'll, we'll get back together and we'll, we'll talk in groups. Sound good? All right. All right, let's come back together. I don't know how, long, how much time that's been. I just sit up here enjoying my coffee. So uh, what do you guys talk about in your groups? Let's do with the first question. In your opinion, what makes somebody great and why? Oh, yeah. Their ethos. Nice. Their moral character and what? What else did you say? You said and something else. Virtues. Yeah. Their achievements. Yeah. Talk about that for a second. What kind of achievements? Yeah, they won this, they won that. Can you think of an example? Winning the gold medal. Yes. Because you, if you win a gold medal in ice skating, you are the best ice skater for the next four years. Winning JD, apparently, I think they give out JD Power Awards for everything. So, I feel like everybody has a JD Power. Maybe I could get a JD Power Award for something. Who knows? I just need to apply. Seriously, like every car commercial is a JD Power Award. I don't understand it. Me, yeah, I don't know about that. McFred Flintstone cars. Ben Poole, what do you say? Legacy. Yeah. Can you think of like an example or can you give some definition to that? What do you mean by that? Well, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. He's the GOAT. Greatest of all time. I guess. I really don't know. People say it's not true. Okay, buddy. LeBron James is better. So yeah, so legacy, like maybe could could another word for that be like followability? Like this person is, I want to follow this person. Leadership, yeah. Leaderability. There you go. Followability. What else? Is anything else that you guys talked about in your groups? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what would you call that? Like, give me a word that, help me think. Like a friend or, like a good friend or? A companion. 
companion. Oh, I like that. I like that. My like so. My, would my dog Jack be included in that? Because he's a great companion. Listens. He listens to me. He doesn't understand me, but he listens to me. He's a great companion. All right. So real quick. So let's transition to the second question. Who? What do you say? To me, he is. He is. He is. Ah. He's got. He's a multi-dimensional friend. He's not one-dimensional. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the second question. So we looked at the question of what. Let's think about the question of who. Who is somebody that you aspire to be? Who is somebody that you consider great? Yeah. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Tell me about that. Why is he great? The president. Right, yeah. I mean, he is, he, he is at the highest seat. We don't have kings and queens. He's at the highest individual seat in our government. So, yeah, the office of president is a great office. Yo. Oh. What else? Who else is people that you say are great? Yeah. Ben Shapiro. Why is Ben Shapiro great? He's just great. I feel like this is a very conservative, this seems to be a very conservative group. So, uh, if we were to go, you know, maybe like 15 miles south, we'd get different answers into the city where it gets a little more blue. What else? I know nothing about politics, so I I really don't either. I don't know anything about anything since I started having kids. I, I still, I'm still three years, almost four years behind. What else? Bill Gates. Why is Bill Gates great? He made a lot of money and Yeah, good. So, so let's come back together, right? So let's come back together. Let's breathe. Everybody breathe in. And say your favorite sports team. The Reds. Cowboys. Cowboys. All right. So, um, so it's important for us to talk about because I really do think that, like, if we were to take our cultural definition of greatness, it would not be servant, in my opinion, right? It would not be because the people who empty themselves and who make themselves poor for the flourishing of others often don't rise to the position of presidency. They don't rise to the position of um, whatever you guys said. Um, companion is close, right? Um, a, a true companion will embody this, 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 this character trait, this identity of servanthood, right? Um, so, um, yeah, I just, I, as, I, as I think about uh, the messages that I receive from our culture at large, the definition of greatness really is somebody who is completely and fully self-reliant, which really, we've talked about this, which is really a lie, um, the, the, because nobody is completely, utterly self-reliant, um, Try to do that for a week and, and you'll be in big trouble, right? Uh, you rely on somebody for almost everything. Uh, somebody, you don't make your own electricity, you don't clean your own water. Um, somebody teaches you, right? You don't, you're not your own teacher when you go to school. Somebody makes food for you um, most of the time probably, even if you know how to make your own peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right, you get what I'm getting at, right? So this idea of servanthood, about emptying oneself, about uh, paying attention to the interests of others and not your, not just your own, is it really is a it's a it's a hard life to embody, and it really is countercultural in a lot of ways. And Jesus's understanding and definition of greatness is very different than our cultural understanding of greatness. And um, like I said, our cultural view of greatness really can can be summed up in uh, is, is in the is greatness is defined as. Um, the flourishing of self, um, uh, self-sustainability, um, 
individual autonomy. I don't know if these, any of these words ring bells in your ears, but, but that's kind of what we see. Uh, these two quotes I found by John Piper. Uh, who's a, he was a pastor. He's retired now. He's an author. He does a lot of speaking. And he says, he says, it, he's talking about life, is about the greatness of God, not the greatness of self, right? Do you see the contrast? Um, um, mo- most of and much of life, and the message that we receive culturally is about the flourishing of self, not about the, the, the greatness or the exalting or the worship of God, which will lead to uh, this, the flourishing of others as well. Not the significance of man. No, he finishes that quote with that. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. That's kind of a sobering, right? It kind of it kind of puts your place in history. It kind of puts your place in the world. Like, um, you know, we're we're right. There's only a few people in history whose names have, have continued on, and eventually they will be forgotten. Um, so it's really sobering um, our our finiteness um, in a lot of ways. He also says this about servanthood. Servanthood does not nullify leadership, it defines it. Jesus does not cease to be the Lion of Judah when he becomes the lamb-like servant of Christ, or servant of the church. Uh, Do you see what he's talking about there? The way that Jesus loves and leads is not by, um, you know, he didn't bring an army with him of angels to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, The incarnation, he became a baby, right? He became became small, he became dependent. (laughs) What was that? I don't know what it was, but that was good. Strawberry. That was good. So, um, so Jesus, right? If if we are to be the in Christ ones, and we are to, uh, if if God by His Spirit is making us to be more like Christ, well, then we've got to see the question, answer the question. Well, how does Christ live, and how did He serve? Right. So, um, uh, uh, I'll say this. I won't talk about what that thing is to the right, but. Um, we are all servants of something, and therefore all identify as servants. The question is, who or what are you a servant of? Right? If you were to think about who do you serve, if you were to answer that question personally, what, what is it? Right? We all embody, whether we believe it or not, we all serve something. We all serve the glory of self, the glory of our national heritage, the glory of um, our children, if you have children one day. right? I don't know, this... Just what, do you, what, what, is, what are you serving? Um, and Jesus invites us to serve him and also to see, uh, see others. So um, any questions about that or any, any other comments that you guys have? So let's just look at two truths, one truth and a lie real quick. Uh, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, in that Paul refers to himself as a servant of Christ Jesus, right? Um, he, he, he gives himself that identity and that identity is also, uh, if, we are, if we trust in Christ, um, then we too have the this, this same identity. We have all unique ways that God has gifted us and created us that you have learned or will learn. So we're not all called to be Paul. We're all called to be like Paul in this reality that he, as he is a servant of Christ, we are called to be servants of Christ in uh, the unique with gifting, the unique re- with the unique resources in the unique uh, moment in history that we find ourselves with the unique people that we find ourselves around. Um, so what, what is the truth in the lie about servanthood? Um, the, the, the first truth is that to be a servant, we must be served. Um, you must, if you want to seek to embody true servanthood, you have to learn humility. You have to see that you actually need Jesus and that you actually need his people. 
I've shared this before, but when I became a Christian, I trusted Christ instantly. It took me like five years to trust people again, right? It's hard to trust people. It's hard to trust this church. Uh, but, but in order to meet the needs of others, you've got to be in tune with your own needs, right? Uh, in order to share the gospel with people and serve them in that way, you've got to know that you need it yourself. In order to help the poor, you've got to embody your own poverty and your own lack in order to serve them fully and correctly. Or else it becomes what? It becomes a means to the end of, of feeling better about yourself or um, making yourself look great, whatever it may be. Um, I was in a fraternity in college, and we had this end-of-the-year award, like the greatest fraternity or sorority award. And, um, like, there was a huge philanthropic culture amongst fraternities and sororities because that was the measurement by which you received the award of best fraternity or sorority. So there were so many fraternities and sororities that were busy doing so many good things, but they really didn't care much about the people that they were serving. They just wanted the award at the end. Does that make sense? And I think for a lot of people, that's how they view servanthood. They want to feel better about themselves. They want the recognition. There isn't this genuine service that's birthed from humility and from the reality that we too have been served. So that's really, really important. And, and I guess humility is the word that embodies that. Um, um, in order to be served and to serve like Jesus, you've got to let yourself not only be served by Jesus, by trusting in him and, and his salvation and his continual intercession before the Father for us, but also the people that he's put around you to help you, help you grow in Christ, to help serve you if you need a, if you need a hand, to um, advise you into their homes, just whatever it may be. So that's the first truth, and I think that's the, most, that's the starting point of, of, of true servanthood, uh, which I define as the emptying of self for the flourishing of others. Um, uh, really, it's the emptying of self for the worship of God and the flourishing of others. I think that's why Jesus describes the greatest commandment as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors yourself because um, neighbor love is a great um, uh, way to understand or engage your worship of God as well. Um, um, so uh, so what's the lie? Um, oh, there's a verse that I put up there. I won't read that. Oh, and there's a great painting that I love that I won't talk about. Um, because I'm running out of time. Um, but anyway, so, um, so, so the lie. What's the lie? To be great means to be extraordinary. Like I said, uh, we, we, we live in a culture where we really like, I don't know if it's like, you know, I, I love to study like culture, and it's particularly the, the culture that I find myself in. And, you know, other cultures that I've been a part of, like in China, for example, um, there, was, there wasn't this, this desire for individualistic, extraordinary living. There was a, there was a collective mentality, right? They, they lived for the, um, for the greater good of the family unit and, and, and the glory of the family unit, not just the glory of individual self. But there's just something about our cultural moment that we find ourselves in that, like, we believe that in order to be significant, you have to be extraordinary, so you have to stand out in a particular way. You have to be the most beautiful, the, the, the buffest, I don't know, whatever else, the richest, have the nicest car. Like we think that that's what true greatness is, don't we? But Jesus says that servanthood and emptying is, is the greatest um, thing. And it's actually, the, the, to be a, a true servant is to not be extraordinary. It's to be what? Terribly ordinary. I mean, think about the ways that you have been served personally. How ordinary were those means? What did they do? Somebody may have just noticed you and asked when you were down, how you doing? Um, 
you may have, somebody may have, you know, on your birthday made your favorite meal for you that made you feel special, right? That's very, very ordinary. Uh, we had a global missions team meeting on Saturday, and I, I kind of talked about this a little bit with the team and about how a lot of people think that, like, global missions is to do these extraordinary things for Jesus, um, to, like, go and do these big things. And often it's, it's to, like, um, you know, give somebody a polo vaccine or, uh, like, we've, we've given thousands of dollars as a church to a church in Croatia so that they could, like, have a building. Like, that's very, very ordinary. <laughs> it's just giving money so that they could have a place to meet and worship, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Um, if you've been on back-to-back before, how do, you, how, do you, how do you serve and love children? You sit on the floor with them and play trains, right? I mean, it's, like, very, very ordinary stuff. So I think that the, the Jesus' view of extraordinary living is ordinary is serving in the ordinary life, the ordinary day-to-day, to notice the people that God has put around you, to experience them, to ask them how they're doing, to, to get to know them and their needs, um, and, 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 to, and to seek their flourishing, because in seeking their flourishing, you will find your own flourishing as well, which is from Jeremiah. Seek the flourishing of the city, the betterment of the city, because then it's flourishing. You'll find your own flourishing. That's not to build big skyscrapers and to do big things. It's just to say hi to a neighbor. I don't know. It's very ordinary. So um, so that's that. Um, that's another piece of art that I love that I won't talk about because I'm running out of time. But, yeah, so um, understanding our culture as servants. So I really do think that the biggest, there are a lot of barriers to embodying um, embodying uh, the servant, the life of a servant that Christ invites us to. And I think for so many of us, it's we are so busy. We're so busy with our own individual pursuits, which are necessary and important. Um, but uh, I had a professor tell me once that sometimes it's better to get a B to help your neighbor than it is to get an A. And I've always taken that with me. And, um, and you can apply that to whatever context that you find yourself in, right? Um, sometimes uh, to be a servant it means it's going to cost you something. And usually it's going to cost yourself uh, your own, um, um, it's going to cost you your own reputation uh, to identify with somebody who may be weird and sit with them at lunch. It's going to cost you money if you go and buy something for somebody to make them feel better about, you know, whatever it may be. Servanthood is, is not from an excess. It's not like, all right, now I've got self-love over to give. Uh, it's, it's, it's giving what you already have and what's precious to you often, your time, your talents, your treasures, etc. So for me, I really do think that we're too busy and that really keeps us from noticing people around us. And I think this is a great case study and illustration, so let's watch. It's only about a minute and a half long, so... thinking I knew a lot about Jesus, what he did, and what I was supposed to be doing. The truth is, I was miles away and centuries apart from what he did and what he wanted me to do. Some people say, oh, slow means, you know, it's, it's not good, slow is not good, but sometimes slow is good. Things are done here correctly, perhaps leisurely, but I think there's a far better quality of life here.
here in this uh, small village. And he was a man uh, from America, young, fast living perhaps. And we thought, well, we, here we could maybe educate him in the more slower things of life. Now, maybe the smart down just has to do with more of a habit of being there. But something has to happen. You can't just rush through life. You can learn more at livegodspeak.org. All right, so just, I mean, that was like, there's more that I would love to show, show you. But that's what I had. That's what, that was their preview. But what are some things that you heard? What are some words that stood out to you? What did you hear? Yeah, Godspeed. What does that mean? How did, how, what, is, what is the speed that Jesus moved at in life when he was in his life, as he, in his, his earthly sojourn? Yeah. It was intentional. He was slow. He walked. He saw people that often people did not see. Who are some of those examples? The lepers, all right. Um, the, the the paralytics on the mats, um, right? He saw people who, right? If you if you were to touch a leper, what what would happen to you? You would get leprosy. So, right? He, I mean, he was God. He cured all things, but um, you know, he touches the untouchable. He sees the unseeable. He hears the unhearable. Um, which maybe we all can identify a little bit with. What, what else jumped out to you guys about that, that short video? Yeah. He said uh, that Irish guy, or I think that was Irish, I don't know, he said that which, uh, the American Scottish, travels, I think. Scottish. He says he travels at like fast speed, not yeah. God's speed, which is like... Slower. Yeah. We perceive it slower, but, but God perceives it right on time. Yeah, we're fast in America. We're really fast. We're innovative. We're always thinking about the next best thing, the next person, um, and uh, and um, things are a little different over there in Europe. If you come from a small town, you experience that as well, right? Um, if you could imagine living with in a, in the like in a town with this with your whole family, um, and uh, nobody's moving in or out. You go to school, you play, you do everything with the same people. That's pretty slow living. And that's how Jesus walked. I mean, that was the world that he lived in. Um, so uh, you can't escape people and, and, and truly being known. Yeah, so um, I love what he had to say. So Matt, uh, the pastor, talked about how he, he graduated seminary, had all the right answers, but he said he had, basically said he had no idea how to do ministry. So we often equate servanthood with having the right answers. Um, and, and, and knowing what to say to people at the right time. But, but, but it, it can often look very different. You may be invited to that at times, right? But to give an answer to somebody who has an honest question, to give an honest answer. But many times uh, we're called to listen, we're called to be still, we're called to walk, we're called to see, we're called to do whatever, right? Um, to be a servant, I, I wrote this out. Um, so I said this, and this is kind of a summary of what we've been talking about, and then we'll break out the groups. To be a servant means that you have to slow down to see the needs of others around you. To be a servant means that you must stop and listen to the Lord's calling moment by moment, which can often be a disruption to your plan. To be great is to be a servant, and to be a servant is to be great. And if you guys could just remember this, <laughs> like this is what I want. Like if I could like summarize like, 
if you could take something with you from this ministry, like, it'd be this. Like, be a servant. Notice the people around you. Life is so busy. People are so busy for all the wrong reasons. Be busy for your neighbors. Be busy for your friends. Like, value people. (laughs) Value people. See the people that God has put in your life. Know them. Know their needs. And serve them. Because I think that's the greatest calling and the greatest witness to the gospel. Let's break out into groups. And uh, let's do this. The light bulb, the question mark, the arrow. We'll do this for about five minutes. And then we'll come back together for kind of a large group, little discussion. So go ahead and do that.